except when I look at porn, it was more performative. It was like, oh, I'm supposed to like make this kind of a face. I'm supposed to bend and contort my body in this sort of a way. And oh, I have to do angles to look a certain way. Um, and then I also remember, I remember attempting to demonstrate like self-pleasure to partners before, like to my ex, for example. And he would override it immediately with his own desires and he would go for what he wanted and he would start to like ask me to do things that he wanted to see. And I didn't have a voice as a young woman to say, hey, this isn't about you right now. Remember, this is me. I really want to um, show you what brings me pleasure, not for the sake of what pleases you, but just for what really pleases me, because I'd like for you to be a part of that journey with me. Hello, hello, my loves. Hola, hola, bienvenidos. Welcome to my podcast. I'm Katrina Arvindaris, and I'm your host. I'm also a somatic therapist, sex and intimacy coach, and I'm the founder of Essencia, an online subscription platform launching this fall with sex education, sensual yoga, and other embodiment practices to support you in feeling fully alive in your body again. Meditation, breath work, movement, you name it. In this podcast, I invite you into my journey through sexuality and all things alive and evolutionary in my heart. Join me as I open the door to my most intimate and vulnerable moments and share some of the wisdom I've gained through over 30 years of tantric and embodiment practices. This is, disclaimer, a shame-slaying podcast. So, if you're not quite ready to get rid of that shame, this might not be the podcast for you. But if you are ready to step into that fire transformation, this is the place and this is the space for you. This will nourish your heart's blossoming, your reclamation of outrageous pleasure, your fuck yes energy, and your transformation into your most empowered self. Are you ready for this? <laughs> if you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review so we can get this out to people all around the world desiring to dive in to this beautiful experience along with us. Okay, love you all. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. I've missed you all so much, so, so much. So today's episode is coming live to you. I don't, I mean, it's live for me, <laughs> uh, but it's being recorded uh, on the North Shore of Oahu. I have moved back home to Oahu and I'm watching the sunset on the beautiful beach of Waimea and it has been nothing short of amazing since I've been back here I just got back here maybe like about a little over a month ago month and a half ago from the big island I've never ever spent time on the north shore so I was born and raised on Oahu uh, inland um, central Oahu and I left when I was 13 years old and you know I was raised by my grandparents my maternal grandparents so I had a very sheltered upbringing um, very helicopter like style parenting and um, at the same time, also very hands-off parenting. So, you know, the easiest way for my family, my grandparents and my aunties, who were quite young at the time, teenagers going into their 20s, um, the easiest way for them to caretake for me was just to put strict, rigid boundaries on me and say, you can't leave the house. <laughs> so <laughs> for 13 years of my life here on the island, I missed out on this most incredible, incredible 
um, stretch of coast, which is famously known for these wonderful shore breaks or surf breaks. Um, so it's called the Seven Mile Miracle on the North Shore of, on Kamehameha Highway of, I think it's like at least 36 different surf spots um, known like famously worldwide. So we have like leftovers, Waimea Bay, where I'm at right now, log cabins, rock pile, off the wall, back door, bonsai pipe, pipeline, Pupukea, gas chambers, Rocky Point, Camiland, <laughs> um, V-Land, and Freddy's, I believe I've heard someone say. Um, Lani's, Laniakea, um, or Lan I don't even know what it's called. It's all new to me. Uh, but, so surfers come here every year to maximize this most potent uh, availability of and stretch of incredible surf breaks um, when the swell hits Hawaii. So that's um, the North Shore in the winter season. And actually I have been here during um, surf season once before when my friends from New York City, so all of my friends, most of my friends are surfers. Most of the places that I've lived in all across the world are very like famous for surf. So um, Cabo Todos Santos, um, Oaxaca, Puerto Escondido. I lived right next to Puerto. And out in, I believe, Sri Lanka. Uh, and then most of my friends have moved out to a lot of very popular surf spots. Um, Lisbon being one of them or Portugal being one of them. And so my friends from New York City uh, took like a vacation out here and we hung out on the beach. And honestly, I just, it was so unmoved. I was like, what is so cool about this? I don't get it. Um, but they were just so in awe of it because they're surfers. And, you know, I went on surf trips with them, <laughs> Puerto Rico. Uh, but I never surfed, never got into it. And the reason for that is, you know, I was quite traumatized by my very first uh, surf session with my brother who you know, was forced by my family to take me out. He did not want to do it. And my brother wasn't, he's not like a top surfer. So um, my experience was just horrid and horrific. And I said, you know what? I'm never, ever going to want to do this ever again. I, this sucks. Uh, and then I come here during this beautiful, lovely surf season. And I've only been here for about a month and a half, but I've been on the North Shore almost every day. And I've been watching the surfers on these gorgeous waves which has always been a dream of mine to see these big beautiful waves on the north shore and i finally got to see them and i literally, literally dreamed of the waves up here like they have hit my dreams consistently over the years over my lifetime but i have never it's just never been a priority of mine to make my way out here and to really take it in on that very like intimate level um and not just because friends are in town or um, because I'm trying to escape, um, you know, the house, my family, but really just to be with the ocean and to be connected with her, to intimately like connect with her. It's, it's more been like connecting with the moon in like very calm waters. But now I really just appreciate the beauty of these incredibly large, stunning breaks of waves just coming through they're so beautiful and to see these people mostly really incredibly hot and sexy men 
um, <laughs> but also some really stunning women, um, to see them glide on water, to dance, literally dance on water in this majestic like expression of flow and I, I just I don't even have words for it it's so orgasmic to just imagine what it must feel like to be riding these waves and so I've finally been called to learn and I had my first lesson today <laughs> um, and per usual with my fortune in this life I met like a world-class surfer who um, I met a few of them, but one specifically who is a coach and was generous enough to take me out and um, teach me for my first session. And just within an hour, under an hour, uh, I had the, <laughs> the most amazing experience of catching waves, of standing on the board and riding waves. And it was just so beautiful. It was so amazing. I also got urchins in my feet. So forewarning for those of you who don't know. Um, you do not want to step on, um, you don't want to walk on anything. You don't want to put your foot down on rocks um, because of fauna. And I was forewarned, but not explicitly. So, um, so urchins will... Uh, will leave their spines in your feet or your legs or whatever it is that you brush up against them with. And um, it's not the most pleasant experience. I did go to an emergency clinic to get them to pull it out, but apparently they're way too deeply embedded. So they're just going to naturally get pushed out. Uh, but infection is something that's a concern. So you'll want to you'll get some antibiotics just to be safe. Maybe even a tetanus shop if you're not up to date on that. Anyhow, <laughs> so today I'm just, I'm flying. I'm so excited. I imagined I would record this episode as I watch these hot, stunning, beautiful surfers surf. But this is a really good, this is a really good time to just, to do it more um, intimately with you all um, after my own first session. Okay, so what to catch you up on? I've had more cervical orgasms uh, with this beautiful, beautiful, gorgeous man. Oh my God, he's honestly, I would say, the most beautiful man I've ever been with. Um, again, another young gentleman um, who surfs and who comes here every season. And um, the experience with him is one that is... Uh, so memorable like I will always forever cherish the experiences that we had intimately why I for the first time met someone who was incredibly attentive now this is something that he just uniquely has it's such an incredible gift like he's got a most incredible way of attuning to a nervous system and this this is important when it comes to connection, right? This is what essentially like most of my coaching sessions are about. It's really uh, looking for readiness for someone to start to attune to their own nervous system, right? And sharing tools, cultivation practices to help them to really be uh, aware of where, where they are. And what does that mean exactly, right? Well, you know what your needs are. 
You know, if you're desiring slowness, quickness, you know, if you need pause or if you need more like interaction with people, you really just attune to your body through your nervous system. Is your breath shallow? Are you breathing deeply? Are you feeling relaxed? Or are you feeling anxious? Uh, and how do you regulate your nervous system when it's when it's um, activated and not activated for purpose, but activated because of fear, anxiety, some sort of discomfort, some sort of discomfort that would naturally cause us to, if it's too strong, to dissociate from our body, to be disembodied, and to make decisions that are not fully from a place of embodiment of what we're actually needing, but would be based more on projections of the mind of triggers traumas of our past and our history or projections of what we're desiring from our future which are informed by our past and so here I meet this gentleman who's quite young he's what's 20 I think he's turning 29 um he just turned 29 (laughs) maybe I shouldn't say that (laughs) I shouldn't give his birthday away um And he's incredibly aware. Like he's, he reads me so well. And I've never met someone who could read me so quickly. Most people I have to just kind of like be patient with and understand that they're just not going to get it and it's totally fine. I'm not there to be gotten. You know, I'm just there to serve and I'm there to like experience connection and to learn and to grow through our connection. But in this case, I meet this gentleman and immediately he reads me and I'm like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) this is is a lot and this is intimidating and this is scary (laughs) because he's young. He doesn't know how to use this power, right? So this is something that can be used for manipulation that might not be something that's intentional right that you're just going to go into an experience you read people well and you just go in and get what you want and care less about the effects of how that's going to um not leave someone feeling higher or better or as they were but going to leave them feeling unsafe in their nervous system and that's kind of the experience i had with him um at the same time like it was just incredible to be in the presence of someone who has the capacity to bring himself into the present moment as much as he did um and it all makes sense it's all coming together you know he serves professionally so for him he's been able to attune to nature on this level he cultivates consistently the capacity to read with expanded awareness the ocean, the wind, the weather patterns, um, and the culmination or the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, the comprehensive, like all encompassing, simultaneity mm, of his presence, of his awareness translated, right? Like, translated from the cultivation that he does on the ocean on a nearly like daily basis on into his human interaction and I felt that and I saw it and I was like whoa this is this is a lot and I really wow I'm whoa (laughs) and the sex was amazing because of that the sex was amazing um um for the first time ever too 
I showed and demonstrated to him how I self-pleasure with my glass dildo, um, which, as you know, is a recent practice for me. And typically I would feel a lot of shame actually around this, around demonstrating my self-pleasure practice. And why? Because when I grew up um, exploring my own like sexuality, um, I also had access to porn. So I started exploring sexuality around four years old at the same time that I started exploring like, different states of consciousness and deep practices of like prayer and devotion and meditation and intimate connection with nature. And then I started to see these visuals and images and clips, films of like pornographic material that didn't demonstrate pleasure practices that look like what felt natural in my own body. So for me, my self-pleasure practice is very soft. It's very nuanced. It's very gentle. And there's not much movement, right? But there are times when there is a lot of movement. And, you know, that comes after like the slowness of just really attuning to my nervous system and my body and being with it and breathing and sounding and touching breath, touch, sound, movement, and gyrating and moving, but in very subtle, nuanced, soft ways. And this is what has brought me so much pleasure in my orgasmic journey since I was a young girl. Except when I look at porn, it was more performative. It was like, oh, I'm supposed to like make this kind of a face. I'm supposed to bend and contort my body in this sort of a way. And oh, I have to do angles to look a certain way. Um... And then I also remember, I remember attempting to demonstrate like self-pleasure to partners before, like to my ex, for example, and he would override it immediately with his own desires and he would go for what he wanted and he would start to like ask me to do things that he wanted to see. And I didn't have a voice as a young woman to say, hey, this isn't about you right now. Remember, this is me. I really want to show you what brings me pleasure not for the sake of what pleases you, but just for what really pleases me, because I'd like for you to be a part of that journey with me. Um, didn't know how to express any of that with him. And so, you know, when he would dominate and tell me what to do, I'd, like, I'd try, and then he would shut it down. Um, he would ignore it, and I'd be like, all right, just go with what he wants. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I did not care about sex so much with him even though we had a lot of it I was quite young right self-abandonment unknowingly so here I am with this new gentleman I gotta give him a name um kangaroo (laughs) I'll call him Kang um Kang is actually um an Asian name but it'll work Kang short for kangaroo okay (laughs) Actually, it feels weird calling him a name that he's not. So let me just call him a gentleman. (laughs) So I show him my self-pleasure practice, right? Like I show him my glass dildo. um, 
and how I insert it and he like pulls it out and it hurts and he notices that and he's like wow that looks really like you know kind of doesn't look like it's so comfortable for you and he just kind of notices everything um, and then I close my eyes and I go into my self-pleasure practice with it and I show him how I like to touch myself it just feels so comfortable and it feels so natural for me to do this with him because I feel so in my body when I'm with him um, and then I open my eyes and I look at him because I'm just feeling like mm, something's missing. I need something. I'm like, would you like to help me? <laughs> would you like to play with my clitoris? Um, and so like I start to show him like my clitoris and like, you know, we take like a really slow approach to just exploring that. And I really enjoy like his feedback. Like he's so present and communicative and his communication is clear he's an excellent communicator I love that he's compassionate with his communication he's clear he's soft and just so efficient like ev everything that he would say to me just landed immediately I got it whereas men had tried to communicate what he tried to communicate and it never landed there's a lot to say about my own evolution in this a lot a lot a lot a lot but I really want to celebrate first and foremost, just the experience of what, what had happened. So, um, so he, um, he feels like for my clitoris, um, you know, I show him how to like, with him, my arousal is spontaneous. So we have two different types of arousal that we can classify, um, or one of the frameworks and it's spontaneous arousal and then there's uh, responsive arousal. So they like to say, and I don't know that it's so cut and dry in this way. I don't like to give absolutes, but they like to say that men have more spontaneous desire and women have more responsive desire. Now I've seen, I've seen, all across the board, many women who have spontaneous and many men who have responsive. Most of the men that I've been interacting with um, have responsive desire. And, you know, most women would probably report that most men that they interact with have spontaneous desire. So I think it's really a matter of your experiences and, you know, the people that you're meeting, what you're going to see. But ultimately, I would say mm, for the most part, we all have responsive desire when it comes to depth and intimacy, unless we've cultivated the capacity to be very deeply intimate with ourselves as well as with other people. Yeah. So, um, and that, that includes the safety aspect that we feel safe in our bodies, safe to experience our erotic energy, uh, alone and with other people, other persons. And so um, spontaneous desire is, you know, when we have our spontaneous arousal, it's immediate, right? It doesn't take time to warm someone up. They're ready to go. Um, like the way the wind blows, the way that a woman or a man like just kind of glances at you, this kind of walk that they do, like their little nuanced like, expressions. Um when someone smiles at you, when someone touches you or anything of that sort, like these subtle experiences, their desire is there. There's, it, their arousal is pretty much instantaneous. It doesn't require a lot of like warm up. Now, then there's responsive desire, which requires time. And I think um, in the Taoist tradition, they have like an analogy of boiling water 
where you they liken women's desire. Now I'm just going to put it very plainly and simply as responsive desire um, to a pot of boiling water. So a spontaneous desire is akin to the flame. You turn the flame on, it's already on. It's on. And responsive desire is akin to the water that gets boiled. You put it into the pot, you put the pot over the flame, and then you wait. You wait for, and in, um, in the tea ceremony tradition, so I don't know specifically, I can't remember the history of it. I think it's China. Um, they have descriptions for each of the types of boil um, bubbles that come up as you boil water from the very inception of tiny, tiny, tiny little bubbles to these big, huge like bubbles popping out of the surface of the water. And so even that in itself encapsulates or captures the, um, the, the breadth and the diversity of the levels and the stages that someone in responsive desire can go through um, from the initial contact to fire or someone else's strong desire impulse to the point when they're now like in that full on like boil of the big bubbles coming to the top in like um consistent fashion just like i can't i'm, I'm at a loss for words i haven't <laughs> i haven't been speaking lately with adults <laughs> um, but you get the point, you get the gist of it, right? So we have the flame, instant, spontaneous, and then we have the water, which takes a bit of warm-up, takes time until it reaches its peak. And with this man, I'm experiencing spontaneous arousal. He can just look at me and I'm like, Penny's what? Whoa. <laughs> In fact, the very first time we spent time together, we watched sunset near his house. And um, I think it was just like a couple of hours that we were on the beach. And uh, we went back to his place immediately because I was like, oh, my God, I really like this guy. Went back to his place immediately. And... We went back to his place. <laughs> Someone pulled up with their really strong lights and I'm blinded and I was completely distracted. Uh, we went back to his place pretty immediately and we just started to explore each other and it was so lovely. Oh my God, it was so beautiful to kiss this gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful hot man. Um, um, but yeah, I change out of my bathing suit um, and I, as I pull my bikini off and I throw it into the back seat of my car I see like sheets of cum of my cum like all over it and I'm like what I haven't seen this ever in my life <laughs> this was two hours it might have been longer than two hours it might have been from the moment he reached out to me and was like hey do you want to surf sunset <laughs> and that was like midday and probably just the idea and the anticipation of um of being able to explore erotic energy with him just turned me on like wildly so I was so excited 
Um, so my desire, my arousal with him is instantaneous. It's spontaneous. And frankly, to be completely honest, it's not that with 99% of people. Um, not to the point where my panties are dripping wet like that. You know, it takes time for me to really connect with someone to really deeply get to know them and, um, to feel safe with them, to trust them. Now, you know, what's also changed is my own personal evolution, you know, that I've gone through a lot of stages of growth and integration since, you know, since these last partners, even, um, that I've been with as I've, uh, as I've opened back to intimacy, physical intimacy from my celibacy. Um, I'm noticing that sex has been getting better and better with each person and it's better than ever. All of the sex that I've had post celibacy is better than almost every sex I've had prior to celibacy, barring one or two experiences that I can remember saliently in my mind. Right. Um, yeah. And so for me to have this experience with this gentleman where my my arousal is spontaneous, I'm out of like out of this world, beyond this world, excited and totally amped up for like the potential of like incredible, amazing, ongoing sex. Um and yeah, so he he watches me. And, um, so I guess I, I shared all of that to say like, <laughs> when I'm with him, I'm wet <laughs> immediately. <laughs> he doesn't have to say a single word. <laughs> he doesn't have to do anything. My pussy is going to be dripping immediately the moment I smell him or like see him. <laughs> Actually, the moment I hear his voice, because he's got the creamiest, most like milky, like, yummy delicious like soft uh, voiced like oh it's just so beautiful I'm not the kind of woman who likes like a deep husky voice like does nothing for me I also don't like a nasally voice which is the gentleman that I met before him <laughs> um I like a voice that has richness to it we call it shukra in Vedic uh in Sanskrit shukra it's got this like richness this depth of um presence of presence uh yeah and I could feel that in his voice when he speaks and it was just like I was being bathed in luxury of pleasure just listening to his voice mm, yeah so um so I direct him, like I show him you know how to like reach into um my vagina um, I had already demonstrated to him our first night. I think it was the first night or was it the second night. Wow, I don't even remember now. <laughs> um, the second night, I think it was, I, I demonstrated to him the vulva, vagina, um, the three gates, the clitoris, the G-zone, and the deep vaginal zone. Um, and... You know, I explained how the deep vaginal zone, the cervical area, like for me, brings me so much, so much pleasure. Um, and, you know, how the clitoris is more like a hot button, like it really excites pleasure, but it will like completely like short circuit. It doesn't, I don't really care for it. Um, and I'm already wet with him, right? So we don't need to do all that stuff. <laughs> I just, I'm just craving to feel his big cock inside of me. Oh, his cock is like the perfect size. Oh my God. 
Oh my God. Future husband, if you end up listening to this podcast, um, I'm more than confident that this is this experience of expansion that I'm having around sexuality and intimacy is just going to continue to expand. So I'm confident that you're going to be an, um, you're going to be an upgrade to this experience. So please don't listen to this and think that, um, you can, this can never be matched. <laughs> Actually, you know, as I say this, I already know that the person that I'll meet will have all the confidence and trust. They'll know because you just know. These are just things that you just intuitively feel. Um, so I didn't need to give that disclaimer, but I wanted to put it out there anyway. Um, so I guide his fingers into my vagina and I, I tell him to just kind of like slide it up and um, and then he just kind of, you know, feels for the clitoris. And it's so beautiful because the feedback he gives is incredible, right? He's like, oh, it feels like there's two. And I just kind of explain, you know, how my inner labia is and um, how there's um, our, what's the other hole? The urinary tract, like the hole there, urethra. Um, and I said, you know, but the clitoris is like a little up and I just wait till he touches it and I give him a yes. I'm like, that's it. But it's hard for him to kind of like to like keep on it. And we figured it out pretty quickly that um, the more my arousal peaked, the harder it got and the easier it was for him to find it, (laughs) which was really cool. You know, like if we didn't go through the slowness of that exploration together where there's there's literally no shame and no judgment. It was just like this open like. I felt like I was this patient, which for me, by the way, everybody is a total turn on. I've always had a desire and fantasy to have sex with my, um, my surgical doctors. <laughs> I've had a lot of surgeries and I've had a lot of hot men give me my surgeries. Um, I, I was so, it very much felt like, um, I was like a patient just kind of laying on the bed and in this very like vulnerable, but very like happy and comfortable and trusted like experience. Um, and his, he's just like communicating with me the whole time, um, like mutual communication. So he's playing with my clitoris and, and I've got the glass dildo in me and it's so beautiful. And at some point I'm like, I want you inside of me. And, um, I mount him and I don't think I immediately like sat on him, but at some point I did sit, um, on him, cowgirl. And I had communicated to him. I don't even know if he remembers this. The very first day we met, or I think it was the second night I said, look, um, you know, I'm going to need your help in like, if you ever see me doing something that you think might not be pleasurable for me, like I'm, cause I might have that habit. I need you to like pause me. Um, and I just left it at that and I, you know, just kept it very simple. Cause I felt like I'm just going to plant the seed. Like if he remembers that awesome, if he doesn't, like I'll communicate it with more, you know, expansion and depth next time it's relevant. And it was so beautiful because as I was in cowgirl on him, um, I went into like a habitual mode of something that I would have done that's not really pleasurable for me which is sort of like a jackhammering almost and we had already discussed this like we already told him how much I don't really like that kind of sex and for me I really love like this pressure up against my cervix like ongoing but like undulating like waves you know and then um he was like are you is that pleasurable for you 
And I kind of paused and I was about to think of, like, I was thinking about it and I'm like, not like, yeah, it is, but I'm pretty sure it like, could be more pleasurable is what I'm thinking in my head. And he's like, why don't you try this? And then he explains like something super, like in his communication, again, remember, just super succinct, super clear, super compassionate with his soft, beautiful voice. And it just, I receive it so well. And he's like, why don't you do a little, like, I'm not going to give too much details. I don't want to put it, give it all away. Um, he's like, why don't you do a little bit like this? And um, he shows me and I, and I went right into it immediately. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it changed the game for me. I was like, whoa, that's it. You know, with the guy that I had sex with um, over the summer when I had that first cervical orgasm, I spoke about him in my transcendental orgasm episode. Um, he had the ability to literally like shift my hips on him for me to get the pressure that I want in my deep vaginal zone like immediately he just knows he knew it he knew how to do it all I had to do was tell all I had to tell him was do that thing you do and he'll do it <laughs> and I thought to myself because I did have another partner after him I was like dang how do I get like how would I ever teach someone to do that to me because I don't even know exactly what um what that other gentlemen said, these guys need names. This is so challenging. I have to respect their privacy. Their names are so beautiful too, though. Um, they're so, um, they're so exotic. Their names are just so, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, even just like saying their names are sexy. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> uh, focus. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so he, like, he tells me, like, he uses, he uses his incredible capacity of perception and his incredible capacity for communication. And he's like, is that enjoyable for you? Why don't you try a little something like this? Um, and then I try it and I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then I began my slow climb, um, of orgasmic bliss. So from like peak orgasm it was a blend actually it was a blend of peak and valley so I was kind of going through like um a peak valley kind of going up to another peak valley going upwards a bit slanting upwards to another peak but it was a very beautiful slow progression and so this happened actually because he then um put his finger on my clitoris because he now knows like <laughs> how I like it to be touched he he knows everything he just he knew from watching me with my dildo and he did it perfectly and I told him you know I communicated this communication so essential um as he was playing like with my clitoris while my dildo was in me um I said you know you'll know it's enjoyable for me when I do this this or that and I said and when it is enjoyable like when I tell you like that's it I said, don't get creative and try something different. Just consistency. Like consistency is key that once you find the thing that works, that you don't try something different, that you don't veer off of it, that you try to keep that same exact thing just going and going and going. And if I want more intensity or if I want more quickness, like if I want like the speed to increase or anything of that sort, you'll see it, right? It'll be obvious, but don't try to get creative and try something different ever just do it what works <laughs> so he did it um and it was incredible oh my god like 
back arched all the way back. I was just like, oh, this is heaven. And, you know, the only downside I would say is with him, um, I lost the sense of emotional safety that I really needed and desired to feel like a deep, ongoing and lasting connection with him. Um, because, again, you know, he's young. And what I gather is that for him, boundaries um, and like people pleasing are still something that he's learning to um, refine Right. And he needs a lot of space to himself with someone like me, especially where I'm going to kind of bombard the experience and take it over. Um, yeah. And, th you know, that's not to say that he doesn't have that power over me, too. Like I can easily give that to him. And I do because I love it. Um, but still, you know, there's there's two people in this experience and my experience is my experience and his is his. Um, so yeah, so that, that was beautiful to me. And he, you know, after we talked about it a little bit and he says, I was just like, thank you. That was incredible. Like, thank you so much for telling me, like for asking me, for pausing me. Cause that, that just made all the difference. Obviously I didn't have to say any of that. He could see it. He knew it, <laughs> but for me, it's nice to like, to also have like talk therapy and kind of break it down so that communication is really clear, like a post session clarity. <laughs> Um, and he said, yeah, you know, I just, when I watched you with your dildo, like when I watched you with your glass, it, you very much were doing something that was more like this. And, uh, it just made sense to me or, you know, he didn't make it about him, but he was like, so I just, you know, that was, it was really simple, simple as that. And then we, um, it was a magical morning because, uh, immediately as we get out of bed, he checks um, los redes, he checks the socials, and he finds out that the surf competition's on. So we go to uh, Sunset Beach, which is right next to his place, and that's where the competition was at that time. So the competitions, um, they travel from like beach to beach to beach, depending on the time of the season and how the swell is hitting the um, hitting the reefs and creating incredible waves on certain areas. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an expert yet. <laughs> so the competition is on for the day because the conditions are perfect. And um, you typically find out like the first call that we get is 745 in the morning is when we'll know like is the competition on or are they going to hold and they'll let us know at 845 or at 945 or at 1045. And it was on and we went to the beach. We walked over. It was like five minutes away. And guess who I get to watch surf for the first time ever in my life? Kelly Slater. I've never fangirled in my life <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm not a fangirl kind of person. I fangirl for people that I know um, because I just adore their hearts and I want to celebrate them and I'm so excited to see them successful and thriving. But, you know, I think part of that was also the fact that this is his profession. This is his passion too. And also a passion that I'm like really deeply like recognizing and discovering. And then I see Kelly out there and for me, it's just like, Oh my God, here is like a legend out on the water. This gentleman is, this dude is in his fifties, just turned 52, I believe. Yeah. And he's out there killing it on the WSL world surf week. Um, which is, you know, like the like highest um, creme de la creme, like comp competition level that you can be on in um, the surf, like pro sport. 
<laughs> forgive my lack of knowledge around this. If any professional surfers or surfers, period, are listening, um, I'm learning and I appreciate all of your help and support in getting me there. Um, so it was just magical. I'm like, wow, this couldn't be any better <laughs> of a day. This day is just perfect. And I'm laying on the sand and I'm just like flashbacks to sex and watching like these incredible like waves coming in and wow yeah it was just amazing and so beautiful um so what am what's the point of this episode actually there's a lot i want to discuss um on this episode um so this is going to be a pretty long one let's see how far y'all get through it uh thankfully thanks to uh ai you'll know where to skip around to get the information and the stories you really desire to dive into so uh this gentleman you know by the way everybody when i have sex when i have sex i have unprotected sex i don't use condoms and i don't use contraceptives i'm also very mindful in who I have sex with. I'm not out there like having sex with just anyone just to like scratch an itch. <laughs> just, oh my God. I, I, I don't resonate with the culture of that personally. I don't shame it. I personally just does not, it's not something that feels alive for me in my own body. Uh, so I, but when I do see someone that I want to have sex with, right? There's no, I, I make sure they know, I communicate to them, I let them know, like first day, um, even if I don't think we're going to have sex, if there's someone who's interested in having sex with me and we're going to have a friendship, I want them to know. Um, and so I told the gentleman, you know, hey, you know, when I have sex, I don't use condoms and I don't take t contraceptives and I time, I cycle, I time I cycle um, for fertility. However, when this gentleman and I, um, had a cuddle session sleep overnight. Uh, I looked at my calendar and I found out that it was actually my most fertile day. I was ovulating. So I told him, I said, you know, this isn't the most optimal time for us to be having sex. Um, but we were both a little bit high. He was pretty high. Um, I don't typically, um, get high. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's legal for me to say <laughs> that we were high. So I won't say that we were high on. We were high on life. <laughs> he was a bit higher on life than I was, though. <laughs> um, and we have great sex. And then, you know, this is this is not the surf competition day. This is this is a day before that. Not not the exact. This is like a time that we met before the surf competition day. Like another a completely different session of ours. And he freaks out. It's the first time we have sex. He freaks out because it's not. This is all new to him, right? To have sex with someone unprotected who's not on contraceptives on the day that they're ovulating. And I love cervical orgasms, so I want his penis literally <laughs> rubbing against my cervix. <laughs> <laughs> this dude is a freaked the fuck out oh my god i um the universe is so beautiful i love how it organizes for our evolution like I, it is no mystery to me that uh we were that we've known each other in previous lifetimes that we were connected in this lifetime to help one another grow in the ways that we're meant to grow in this moment of our lives um so I think it was like a couple or a few days after we first had sex that I uh, went back to the beach that I normally hang out with, which is right next to his house. And I see him running to go catch um, 
ready to go surf. Um, and I stopped my car to say hi and to chat him up a bit. And he's totally like freaked out. Like I'm, and I'm trying to figure out like what's going on with this dude. Like things were so smooth with us. And then all of a sudden he's acting weird AF. Uh, and I find out over the course of the next, you know, few weeks or a couple of weeks that he's freaked out about potentially getting me pregnant. Um, and um, that, that kind of just changed the game for us completely. You know, the fact that this was just so new for him. And so what I wanted to discuss on this episode was, <clears throat> you know, the reasons why I choose not to use contraception, the reason why I don't have protected sex. And number one, let's just talk about condoms. So what... My philosophy is if I'm not going to have sex with you without a condom, because for some reason, like, I just don't trust you. Like, I don't feel comfortable or confident about the way you, like, um, discern your um, choices in women or the way that you discern your uh, your your sexual experiences. I'm not going to have sex with you, period, with or without a condom. Like, that's not going to putting a condom on isn't going to change that. Right. So it's more about, I'm not going to use a condom as an excuse to ignore the things that would tell me, Oh, this is not a good idea. And so I'm confident when I make a choice in having sex with someone that they are fully embodying what I'm desiring for my safety physically in that experience, that they are someone who makes wise decisions that align with my desires around safety uh and then there's the lubricant that comes with condoms there's the um spermicide that goes with condoms and when it comes to lubricants so we have what are called um there's a couple of things that matter a lot in terms of the health of a vagina's microbiome now the microbiome let me just pull up my notes <laughs> for those who aren't familiar with what a microbiome is. Okay, so the microbiome is the balance of microorganisms that naturally inhabit the vagina, the, and that's specifically the microbiome of the vagina, right? We have a microbiome for the skin, for the internal skin, which is our digestive system, and our mouth, and so on and so forth. Now, for the microbiome, the healthy like balance of the microbiome of the vagina, we want an ideal pH... And that pH naturally is in the range of about 3.8 to 4.5. And a high vaginal pH that's above 4.5 is associated with increased risk of bacterial vaginosis, also known as BV. And many commercially available lubricants have pH levels that exceed, that far exceed 4.5. And so we ideally, if we're going to introduce any sort of a lubricant, anything that is um, water soluble or anything that is liquid um, into the vagina, that pH has to meet the healthy pH of the vagina. And if it doesn't, then it's going to cause imbalances where the body is trying to make up for this introduction of an entirely different um, pH, right? It has to, it has to like pendulate, kind of swing in a completely opposite direction to accommodate this difference. 
On top of this pH requirement, we have something that's called osmolality. And osmolality, osmolality, os, osmolality, <laughs> oh, <laughs> refers to a substance's ability to draw moisture out of tissues and cells. And exposure to a lubricant with a higher osmolality than the normal vaginal secretions can result in vaginal tissue, which literally will shrivel up because the moisture in those cells is extracted, it's pulled out. Uh, I can't remember that process, scientifically speaking. Um, this process leads to irritation and a breakdown of the mucous membrane barrier, which protects the vagina from infection. And so disrupted vaginal mucous membranes have been associated not only with irritation and discomfort, but also with increased risks of sexually transmitted infections such as HIV. And many currently marketed lubricants have high osmolalities, which are detrimental to the vaginal tissue. Not to mention now, in addition to pH and in addition to osmolality, the toxic chemicals that exist in the condoms. <laughs> so we have chlorhexidine, gluconate, which is a potent disinfectant chemical, and that can kill the probiotics that, um, or the healthy bacteria that live in the vagina, like lactobacillus. I don't know if I'm saying these things right, but you know, I'm pretty close and that's good enough for now. There's parabens, which are preservatives, and these preservatives can cause irritation of vaginal mucous membranes, which are linked to genital rashes, fertility problems, and endocrine disruption, endocrine disruption. And then there's cyclomethicone, cyclomethicone, cyclopentasiloxan, and cyclotetrasiloxan, commonly found in silicone-based lubricants. And these are linked to reproductive harm and uterine cancer in animal studies. And almost no research has been conducted to examine the long-term impacts of vaginal exposure to these chemicals in women. Oh, right. And then we have the undisclosed flavors or fragrances, which... <laughs> That's where they hide all the things that they do not have to disclose that they can consider a fragrance or flavor. They don't have to tell you what they use for these things. They can literally just label it fragrance, flavors, right? And then you have no clue. You have no idea what chemicals, what they've used to create that. That's how, that's how a lot of companies hide that kind of information in cosmetics, um, yeah. So these harsh chemicals in lubricants can be toxic to vaginal tissue and its microbiome. And I don't want to bother. I do not want to bother with that. Why would I bother with that when I can have a healthy fucking penis in my vagina with someone who's conscious? What's the point? I also don't have sex with more than one person at a time. Um, if I'm having sex with someone, I don't leak my energy all over the place. Right? I'm not like, hmm, sex with him is great, but who else is around the corner? <laughs> no, I'm in an experience to fully grow from it, to fully integrate it, to fully learn from it, to really see and lean into the mirrors of what that experience is going to offer me. And I can't do that fully, quickly, efficiently, intensely, let's say efficiently and effectively. Um, and I can't fully feel it if I'm spreading my energy into other distractions, 
And that's what I will call anything else. They would be distractions to me and I have no desire to go there. So for me, it's one partner at a time. And, um, and I prefer that the person that I'm having sex with is also doing the same thing. Uh, and I actually, I, d- I don't just prefer it. Um, I haven't met someone who I'm okay with them having sex with someone else when we're having sex. If I, if for any reason they're having sex with anyone else, then sex with me will stop unless I know that person that they're having sex with. And I trust and I know like the discernment of who they're choosing as partners, right? Outside of myself. I'm a magical creature. The likelihood of meeting someone else like me is very rare. Um, in, in random parts of the world (laughs) in certain beautiful hippie towns it's not that rare but still okay so we have condoms that are non-lubricated that don't have spermicide and that's awesome and you can find and you can do the research on that and you can carry those on you uh i just i do not like introducing anything that's not skin into my vaginal area unless it's my glass because glass again I talked about this before glass is um borosilicate glass specifically it's body safe meaning to say it can be cleaned it's not going to carry um bacteria that's going to grow on it um because you can clean it before you you penetrate and a penis is going to have its own healthy natural microbiome um and I want the immediate impact to to show for me of how that person's biome naturally integrates with mine because it's very possible and it has happened that I've had partners um, who when we have unprotected sex my fauna like my flora my microflora will go wild and I might get a yeast infection or something or a bacterial vaginosis pretty like immediately and that will tell me oh we're not a good fit you know like I wasn't fully conscious and aware of certain things. Um, this is a good time to start to integrate that experience with the person. Don't have sex with them again. Um, really like go inwards, heal the body and really just reflect and, you know, soften into an expanded awareness around um, how something about the energetics of my like desire and my ego overtook the actual like subtle nuanced uh awareness that was necessary needed to identify whether this would be a compatible partner for me or not if the microbiome isn't compatible the person's not compatible i keep it that simple so these are some of the reasons why i choose not to use condoms and i i love these reasons for myself now or lubricants i don't use lubricants i don't use them now i've had the good fortune of being able to still get very lubricated and um, I'm at that age and stage of my life where lubrication is something that's available to me um, pretty easily. And as regards lubrication, this is something that I do want to put out there. So for women who start to get more mature in age, uh, it is very natural for the body to experience more dryness just generally. So that affects our psyche, our nervous system. That's where we start to get vata-related diseases, and I'm speaking right now Ayurvedically. So vata pitta kapha, right? As we start to enter into like pre-peri um, menopause and post-menopause, of course, certainly this is when we're entering from pitta stage of life into vata stage of life. We started a kapha stage of life as young kids. 
um, infants into moving into adulthood as we enter into about like our 20s, our past puberty, we start to enter into our pitta phase. And this is fire dominant. And all of this you know, energy of fire is important for that stage of life and what we're achieving in terms of career, building a family. Whereas as children and infants, that kapha, that unctuousness is needed that nurturing is needed for our growth, for healthy bone growth, for healthy growth of the body. Um, we can equate it to like earth and nourishment, kapha, water and earth. Pitta, predominantly fire and water. It's like acid. And then we enter into vata years, which is air, ether. And this is more wise years, right? We've experienced life. We've gone through the stages of life that are relevant for us as humans. And um, now we're entering into our later stage of life where we can apply or we can share or integrate whatever it is for each person. All of the knowledge that we've embodied or that we can embody and we can start embodying, right? We've had so many experiences and so um, so much access to resources over all of those years relative to what we had in prior years in our own life for each person. So you enter into the Vata years and you get um, more like mental like um, diseases of like dementia. Uh, and these are Vata related diseases related to the drying of the nervous system. <clears throat> now we also have the drying of the vagina. And the practice that I have seen work most for women at this stage of life, physical practice, is the jade egg. <clears throat> or you can use a glass egg uh, because it starts to massage the interior wall. We're starting to build, <clears throat> excuse me, massage the interior wall of the vagina. And we're starting to build more somatic awareness uh, if we haven't already built it of our vaginal environment of the muscles of the musculature of the pressure as it pushes up against different muscular areas different um, sensitivities different sensations and it helps us to cultivate more lubrication internally as well the stimulation the sensation or the increased capacity to feel internally and so um, for me, I haven't had an issue getting lubricated. <laughs> Thank goodness I do not need to turn to lubricants. Um, and in terms of natural lubricants that can be used in lieu of um, uh, commercial lubricants, I would say if you have to turn to lubricants, right? Number one, try the Taoist tantric practices, the breath, touch, sound, movement coupled with a yoni egg. And if you'd like to work on that with me, I'm more than happy. I would be so honored to take you through those practices one-on-one -on -one privately. You don't have to be here in Hawaii. We can do them online together. It's not a problem. Uh, but I would say, number one, try that, right? Because that's going to hit you on the mental, the psychic, the psycho, emotional, physical, and spiritual energetic levels. That's the holistic approach, right? And that's that's why we we take the cultivation practices in, and that's why we we honor them, and why they've been passed on for so many like generations, so many thousands of years, because they work, they work, they work. <laughs> 
And now let's say you're someone who you just have no interest in that. You're like, "Mm, I am not into that. I don't think you would be listening to my podcast if you weren't into it. But you might know people who aren't. Then if you're going to go with a commercially based lubricant, find a lubricant that you can research, call the company, email the company, do your due diligence, right? That still work too. Um, To identify the pH as well as the osmolality rating. And you can Google these two things to identify what the ideal pH and osmolality rating is. Let me see if I can actually find that ideal osmolality, la, 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 the O rating for you so you can see it or know it. Here it is. I found it. Okay. The WHO recommends using a lubricant with a pH of 4.5 and an osmolality below under 1200 MOSM per kg. So KY Warming Jelly has an osmolality rating of 10.3 thousand, um, so 10,300 versus 1,200. So it's more than 20 times the body's normal levels. Is that, does that come out right? <laughs> I don't know. The math is not coming out right exactly, but these are facts that I pulled off of um, off of a website womensvoices.org which i will link and in rodent testing it was shown to increase the rate of herpes transmission more than sevenfold astral glide has a high osmolality rating one of them rating as high as 8.064 thousand so that's 8064 me taking notes here <laughs> i'm trying to interpret them for you <laughs> So KY Warming Jelly, 10,300, and then um, Astroglide, 8,064 MOSM per kg versus the 1,200 MOSM per kg that is recommended or something way below that actually is ideal. All right, moving on. (laughs) Um, So the short of it is... Introducing liquid into the vagina that does not meet the idea. So the short of it. So in summary, introducing liquid, in this case, lubricants into the vagina that does not meet the ideal pH and osmolality rating of 3.8 to between 4.5 and uh, below 1200 MOSM per kg. This would cause infections like BV and other nasty conditions to arise in the vagina. And this is why I personally choose not to use lubricants. Now, a lot of people like to resort to using oils, nut seed oils uh, instead, like coconut oil. Uh, I still haven't figured out the um, ability, like how to measure the pH of oil because it's a measure of actually water. But I think when they measure pH of an oil, they're measuring um, some sort of like neutral water uh, immersed within the oil solution. I honestly don't know what it is. But what I was able to pull up through some research was that coconut oil is not within the ideal pH range for a vagina. And if we're just going to keep it really simple, um, you really should just experiment with seeing if you're going to use a lubricant that's not commercial um, within, you know, these ratings that I mentioned, um, but and that is 
all natural and is a nut seed oil, you've just got to experiment and see what is it like when I put this in, like alone, not for sex. You just put it inside your vagina, like go ahead and place some coconut oil in there and see how your vagina responds and reacts, you know, over the course of the week. Do it once. See if there's anything that comes up in the next few days. Try it again, maybe. And then experiment and explore. Now, something to keep in mind with this kind of a method, however, is that oftentimes something that causes imbalance in our body won't cause us to see the symptoms of the imbalance it's causing, right? Because it's not going to be like, oh, immediately you're going to see the imbalance. You might actually have a pretty great like resiliency in your body. You might have a low level of toxicity such that when you introduce something that causes imbalance, your body can kind of bring bring it back into balance. It's not reaching a threshold where symptoms are going to show, right? This is how disease from the Ayurvedic view, um, how it starts to progress, right? There are stages that are very, very subtle that are on an internal tissue level, but the toxicity starts to build up to a point. It starts to travel through the body into certain areas and lodge itself in certain areas. And it starts to grow and it starts to grow to a point where you then peak or then peaks into symptomatic experiences that express physically as rash, as some sort of discomfort. Literally all the diseases that we have can be traced back to symptoms that came before it and then even further to these very subtle experiences having happening on a tissue level. Right. So you have to keep that in mind. Like you might not even see the effect of the imbalance that it's creating in your system. It could it could be that for years, but it's the accumulation of you doing this that's going to cause the imbalance later. And that's why on my end I choose not to take the chance. Um Right. So I think jojoba oil, which is a wax ultimately, might be more conducive um, to the the vagina's pH. But honestly, I have no clue. I have not measured the pH of oil. I have no idea, no understanding of how one would measure it accurately. And um, oils that are cold pressed are going to have different pHs than oils that aren't because of the use of uh, like hexane or some sort of... um, some sort of um, chemical that uh, is used in the extraction process for oils that are not code pressed. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on to contraception. So birth control, there are a few methods that can be used. There's the withdrawal or the pull-up method, which you know I do. It works about 78 to 80% of the time. There's also cycle tracking using an ovulation calendar, which you also know I do. So doubling that with the withdrawal or the pull-up method, I imagine that would increase the, um, the efficacy of it. I don't know for sure. And then there's spermicide, which is a side. It kills sperm, but it's not just killing sperm. It kills. <laughs> so keep that in mind when if you're putting it in you or on you. And there's peeing before sex and after ejaculation, right? So with the withdrawal, me- um, with the withdrawal method, um, if I'm having sex with someone, I'm likely having sex with them. If I'm enjoying the sex, I'm going to have more than um, one. I'm going to have a lot of sex with that person. And perhaps even after they ejaculate, if they're new to, um, if they haven't really done a lot of like the cultivation practices around ejaculation and they have to ejaculate more than once, um, that's fine. Then they've got to pee after they ejaculate and before they uh, penetrate me again. So we have male contraception, right? Oh, the pill, the, the pill that we do. And these, I do not use pills 
um, or any sort of hormonal contraception. Um, even if it's non um, I don't use God, I think I need to go into birth control on another um, episode. But for the most part, I'll keep it very simple. I don't use birth control pills um, or any sort of hormonal contraceptive. There are non-hormonal contraceptives. I don't use them because I do not want to interfere interfere with my natural hormonal cycles. My hormones and our hormones as women are what keeps us in tune with our body and with nature. When you introduce a chemical into the body that causes your hormones to be controlled and manipulated according to your mind, according to your desires, according to something that is not aligned with your body's natural intelligence beyond your egoic like projections of what you want for your body, that's going to take you out of your natural expression whether you want to call that femininity, whether, whether you want to call that um, being a woman, it's going to take you out of what was meant to be natural for you in this body, in this lifetime. It will create a barrier from you being able to connect to your body because you are manipulating your hormones outside of its own natural cycle. This is absolutely not something that I want for myself. I love the journey of tuning into my body and knowing how other actions cause imbalances or cause certain patterns to disrupt or certain patterns um, that are very healthy, right? For example, if I'm working out um, intensely in a way that's causing a lot of cortisol perhaps in my body and that's affecting my hormones and I'm going to see that in my period. I'm going to feel that in my body. I'm going to feel it intensely as probably cramping pain. I'm going to see it as irregularity in my cycle. Maybe uh, my cycle is shorter. Maybe it's more intense in a certain way. But it allows me to tune into my body. When we bleed, Our bleed is information about how we were living our life in the cycle before the bleed, right? That moon cycle, that lunar month before we bled, how our diet and our lifestyle was supporting a healthy balance for us or how it was causing some sort of an imbalance, right? And so I've learned through connecting to my cycle in this way how to adapt my workouts to slowly progress them so that hormones can like slowly rebalance throughout a lunar cycle versus going straight and intense into something that's beyond my body's capacity to keep up with. Um, And so that, these are the reasons why I don't do a birth control. It's robbing me of my capacity to feel feminine in my nature, to tune into my lunar like power, to tune into me, to ensure that I'm embodying myself in its fullest capacity, in my fullest capacity, that I'm honoring my mind, heart, body, spirit, that I can hear her, that I can feel her, that I cannot force her to be something that isn't with the natural intelligence of her own being. 
right? I want to be fully, I want to fully feel. And this is where pleasure comes from, that I can fully feel, that I can fully, like, my senses are acute. And if they're not acute, like, what is it in my lifestyle that I'm doing new or different that is affecting that? And how can I adapt so that I'm fluid and in flow? I'm not going to have that capacity if I'm fucking with my hormones, intentionally (laughs) you know Um, and I'm not shaming anyone who chooses that everyone has their own choice as to what they desire to do with their body um, and how they feel with their decisions but this is how I feel about that decision for myself and for my body and now there are male there's male contraceptives right there's the vasectomy And then there's also less extreme, um, the use of neem oil, which has uh, been shown to cause, um, I think it's like the death of sperm motility. Like it it actually is a great contraceptive uh, alternative um, to explore. And I I encourage you to do some research on that. I haven't done thorough enough research to report back on it. Uh, But there are studies of like men who've, um, used like neem oil and it's been an incredible contraceptive that didn't, um, didn't decrease their fertility, um, like in the long term or, but it did in the short term allow them to completely like have, um, like unfertile sex. (laughs) So, um, and you know, they've done a lot of studies in like rats and they do injections literally through the urethral tube. I don't know what it's called right now, um, for men. And I heard a friend on his podcast mention that you could also, or a woman on his podcast mentioned, like you could also take neem oil internally, ingest it. So, you know, you'll have to do a bit of research on that, but there are other options for contraception that are more natural and that um, more organic, more aligned with the body's natural rhythms and that don't have such deleterious side effects as do the current methods that we predominantly lean upon, right? So like fertility tracking is one of them. The withdrawal method along coupled with fertility tracking is another one of them. And then this neem oil thing to explore that. I know what works for me and I'm confident with my decision, right? And so I think it's important that, you know, men, women, non-binary, that we all do the research that we need and that's necessary for ourselves to feel confident in our decisions. And I'm talking about this now because this incredibly beautiful, gorgeous soul of a gentleman who's so fucking hot and sexy and just a delight to my soul and to my eyes and to my heart and to my pussy, (laughs) He freaked out because he hasn't done the research. You know, he hasn't had any like desire or call or need to do the research until he met me. And then he was like, oh, (laughs) oopsie, here's an experience that's awakening me to things that I'm going to want to start to bring more awareness to. Um, I did feel, you know, really horrible um, going into that experience because I had more agency over my desires than he does or did. Um, and at the same time, you know, I'm very forgiving of myself and, um, also like sincerely apologetic and compassionate and loving to him over like his journey. Um, and, and so it was like a beautiful, like learning moment for both of us to, to have gone through that. Um, was there anything else that I wanted to mention on this podcast episode? 
Yeah, I kind of really wanted to get into like how beautiful it is to have this kind of like sex that's more about like more about gyrating and less about um, jackhammering. Um, But I think I touched on that kind of enough. We can go into it deeper another time. But that was one thing that was like huge for both of us in our experience sexually where, you know, we were able to communicate that we both really enjoy that. Um, like gyrating or just like that consistent pressure versus the like jackhammering experience. And I'm just so grateful that he's just so open and receptive to sex in a way that brings me pleasure and to like communicating around whether it's pleasurable for him too or not. And apparently so far what brings me pleasure brings him a lot of pressure. So (laughs) it's great. I'm just so happy. Oh, post nut clarity. That's what I wanted to talk about. Oh, this is so cool. You know, so after when I when I date somebody, you know, like um, I like to go really deep into the experience of it. And I really like to just ensure that I'm facing like the shadows that are coming up for me in the mirror of this person. And so I, I talked to my mentors to help me like digest and integrate and metabolize experiences um, when I need that support. In this case, I did. So I called up, you know, a few of my friends and one of them specifically, he was like, you know, post nut clarity is a thing. Um, and talking about basically how this gentleman kind of went through the experience with me, like he was just kind of caught up in the moment, like, wow, here's this really beautiful, like sexy girl. And oh my God, like what I would do to just like be inside of her, you know? and then he gets the opportunity to come inside of me Um, I mean be inside of me and then and then post-nut clarity is like wait shit I did things that I don't really I'm not okay with I want to be more this is his mind right like I want to be more responsible about how I have sex and more responsible about how we have sex and and I think he's still like metabolizing in moments whenever he puts his mind there I don't know how often he is but he's right still metabolizing a lot of like things because interestingly enough like our drives our sex drives can really take over our consciousness and our conscious awareness and this is why for me I did the five years of celibacy because I know how quickly and easily like that sex drive or that erotic energy can come up and that powerful powerful energy can subsume me completely right and I can default to habits and patterns that don't actually serve my highest that aren't truly in alignment with myself because that energy is not purified yet it's not clarified right it's bringing things to the surface but I'm ignoring it and pushing them away right I'm ignoring parts of myself that I don't want to face and and if I'm doing that and I'm pushing that away then I'm not going to fully feel I'm not going to fully feel pleasure and this is also why sex for me has been so much more pleasurable with each partner after celibacy because I'm fully feeling I'm fully facing parts of me that I haven't been facing I'm letting the mirrors of these incredible like souls I'm letting it like completely awaken me and and shake the fear out of me and shake the shit out of me and I'm crying and I'm feeling deeply with the mirrors and especially with this last gentleman like oh my lord like all the things that came up with him I 
had so many parts of myself come up that I hadn't seen in so many years since I was in my early 20s. And I'm so grateful for the experience of him. And I'm just, I so deeply love this soul. I love this man so much and he has no idea. He probably thinks I'm just super obsessed with him. But I'm so grateful because life would not be the same if I didn't get the chance to see the parts of me that came up in his presence and his, in his incredibly like acute, powerful presence. And when I say presence, I don't just mean like, oh my God, look at this soul and energy of a man. So beautiful. But I mean like literally his capacity to be present. And this is what makes a difference. All the difference when it comes to connection is how present can we be fully in that moment. And it's not a matter of words. It's a matter of awareness, connectedness, attuning to a nervous system as you would to the nervous system of the ocean and the sky and all of the elements that he's been attuning to like through his career through his passion, through what brings him alive. That translation into our experience was powerful. And that's just his calling in this world. Like that's just something that comes, that he was meant to be gifted with in this t lifetime. And it brings a lot of um, challenge for people who have this capacity. The gentleman that um, I had that cervical orgasm with over the summer, same thing. He has a lot of this, but what does he do? Like he kills it and he shuts it down by smoking a lot of weed, right? It's tough to feel. It is so tough to feel when you don't have a support network of people around you who are very like mature, emotionally intelligent, very attuned to the nervous system, very safe people to be around. When you don't have that strong network of people around you that you surround yourself with, when you don't have access to like that support and the wisdom and the knowledge and the resources generally to really just allow you to like feel safe in your nervous system, then you don't want to feel. You just don't want to feel. It's way too much. It floods you. It shuts you down. And so when you're someone who is acutely like sensitive to the world in this way and not ready and not with the tools, you want to shut it down. And that looks like for some people and for, you know, like a friend of mine specifically, he'll come on the podcast, Jose, um, it looks like smoking a lot of weed, Right. Just like, I don't want to feel, I just want to like dissociate. I just want things, I want, what I want to feel in this moment is ease, not pain. Right. Um, okay. I feel like that's enough for this podcast episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm, yeah. Um, just highlighting the experience of sensation versus friction sensation versus friction and um this oh yeah the other thing i want to mention so he he did get injured um in one of his surf sessions and so we had sex while he was injured and he was kind of worried about it you know he's he's he takes a lot of space he takes a lot of space for me we don't have sex often um and especially with this injury, he wanted to take a lot of space to just like heal and to be with his injury and just have space to himself, right? Um, so when we had sex, I was like, look, we can have sex. It'll be really easy. We just, 
it'll be still like and I was like look there's more intensity with stillness and so we had sex and I got to experience it I got to feel it and I think he felt it too he said so whether he meant it or not I don't know but he said he he's like oh this is what you meant um but like in that stillness of like very subtle nuanced movement like I can feel the intensity of like him against my cervix and against like the deepest core of me and it feels incredibly powerful and this is where like the minute movements very very like very minute movements i can feel incredible like blossomings of sensations through them like pausing in that and breathing in that and moving in a way that pleasure wants to move it i want to feel like every nuance of it i don't want to get lost in like just friction, just rubbing and just doing and just action. But I really just want to be present. Oh, it was so beautiful. So sensation versus friction. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the sun has long set. Um, <laughs> it's pretty dark. And the traffic is dead. So I'm going to um, gonna head home. And I'm going to close this episode. And I thank you so much for joining me. Um, yeah, it's been just such an incredible journey to, to be here on the North shore of Oahu to have met and had the most synchronous experiences up here and to just be receptive to the evolution that was meant to be birthed through my being as I'm here to be with my family. That's one thing I do want to talk about too in another episode to be back with my grandma while she's at her end of life. My grandma raised me for my first 13 years of life and to heal our relationship, to feel nothing but like softness and comfort and ease and fluidity in her presence um, and amidst her chaos of her anger and her tantrums and her un, um, her sense of unworthiness, her deep sense of unworthiness, but also to be able to face my sense of deep unworthiness and all of the mirrors that she awakens me to. And it's been so beautiful. I've integrated so much in this last visit that I've been home. So this past month um, where she used to um, react to her like internal world and it would like hurt me because she would like um, burst out in like anger spontaneously and I would just I was so sensitive to that I would always take it personal now it's just like it's fluid it's like water it's like when a water drops on a lotus and it just slides right off it glides she glides and all I feel with her is just complete like connected love and great gratitude really for the beauty of what my family has offered me in this lifetime which is all this growth that I've been given through the mirrors of their own unique reflections in this life their own unique nervous systems their own unique challenges um yeah so that's it um from my new pilgrimage site (laughs) (laughs) the seven mile miracle totally miraculous for me for sure (laughs) i look forward to joining all of these surfers who travel from all across the world um on on the water next season maybe even the south shore once summer hits oh my god (laughs) 
Just the thought of it excites the heck out of me. Um, I love you all. Have a beautiful, beautiful rest of your day or night. And I'll tune in with you soon. Thank you, my loves, for joining me on this journey. I hope that this episode was fruitful for you. To access any resources referenced, please visit the episode page at katrinax.com where you'll find the podcast archive. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Like and leave a review or comment and share with your friends and loves. Espero que hayas disfrutado este episodio. Gracias por darte este espacio conmigo.